This is the Accidental Safety Pro brought to you by Vivid Learning Systems and the Health and Safety Institute. This is a special edition of the podcast recorded on March 17th, 2020. My name is Jill James, Vivid's Chief Safety Officer. Today I'm joined by two guests, both of whom have had long and experienced careers in nursing, public health, and as educators. Joe is a registered nurse with a master's in public health. She has been certified in infection control and served as president of Minnesota's Association of Infection Control Prevention. She's organized regional infection control conferences and consultation through her career, as well as serving as adjunct professor at Minnesota State University St. Cloud in the Department of Nursing Sciences since 2006. Sue, our other guest, is also a registered nurse and nationally certified pediatric nurse practitioner. She too has a master's in public health and a doctorate in educational administration. Sue's past work includes department chair of nursing at the University of South Dakota and associate dean at the University of Wisconsin School of Nursing in Eau Claire. She's the founding director and professor in the Department of Nursing Science at Minnesota State University, St. Cloud, meaning both Joe and Sue have taught public health nursing to college-level nursing students. And combined, they have a lot of years of experience. I've asked both of them here today to bring their unique perspective as nurses on issues of infection control and how what they've been practicing and teaching throughout their careers is critical and relevant today for all of us, whether we're at work or with our families. So if you want to know how you can play a personal role in flattening the curve and spread of COVID-19, our guest today will give us some confidence on how we can all do that together. Welcome to the show, ladies, and thank you for making the time today. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hmm. So first question just to set the stage for our audience, what is infection control? Infection control is the prevention of infection as well as stopping the spread of infection. The original focus was in healthcare, but as you can see in the current uh, world we live in, it's throughout the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in nursing, we go way back, you know, Florence Nightingale, who is kind of the founding of nursing. That was one of her major um, activities that she discovered that during the war, that if they kept uh, they kept some of the soldiers that were hurt farther apart and just prevented and did hand washing, that they prevented um, the, the soldiers from getting sicker. So this goes way back in nursing. It's one of the basis of, 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 of nursing care. Certainly, and one of the things Florence Nightingale discovered during the Crimean War when she was in Istanbul was not just that social distancing, but the environment, the importance of hand washing as well as the cleaning of environmental services. Hmm. So infection control practices, have have they really changed that much over time? Or, or it sounds like maybe things have kind of stayed the same, like what was discovered way back then is still what we're practicing today. I think so, but I think that people maybe back when they knew people died of diphtheria, when the people lived through the polio outbreak, um, and before we had antibiotics, people realized what a frontline activity good hand hygiene was. I think that um, that that 
focus in our technical world had gotten a little codified, but the hope is right now as people are really beginning to realize that in spite of all the other options that we have, the frontline defense is still good hand washing. Hmm. It sounds too good to be true, right? Yeah, it does. But, you know, one of the things I certainly have noticed is, you know, one of the quality measures in hospitals was monitoring people's what they called foaming in, foaming out. And it got to the point they began to educate patients to look for that person when they entered your room foam in? Did they, when they left, did they foam out? And I think we need to extend that into our community. And I think that the unfortunate thing about what's happening right now is that we're returning to those basic principles, not just in healthcare settings, but in the community itself. Mm -hmm. And when you say foam in and foam out, you're talking about the the hand sanitizing foams right, that we all right. see in um, hospital, nursing home, clinic settings, right? You know, and that was a fast thing to do. And there was a thought for a while there that the alcohol and it gave you sustained protection. But, you know, as you're beginning to realize more and more, soap and water is far more effective. And everybody has access to soap. When we're looking at this run of hand sanitizers, I don't hear that there's a, a run on bar soap and truthfully, it's far more effective. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So that should yeah, be so, the, that should be the yeah. first thing that people do is just wash their hands and you don't have to worry about having the sanitizer. It's great to have it, but just your basic soap and water that we have in every home. Yeah. So can, can you both talk about... Um, as long as we're talking about hand washing right now, can we talk about like the real how to practice of that? Because it sounds like, yeah, we all know how to wash our hands, but do we? <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I think both Sue and I do notice that. And one of the th first things that I'm always struck with is, first of all, take your paper towel and turn on the faucet and wet your hands before you put soap on. And, you know, because that's what helps the surfactant of the soap become more effective. It needs that water to change that surface tension. So turn on, you know, take your paper towel, turn on your faucet, or if you're lucky enough, put your hands under the sink, wet your hands, put soap on. And then remember, for those 20 seconds, you're rubbing everywhere. Don't, you know, don't forget all surfaces of, 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 of the fingers and the, somebody reminded me the thumb as well as <laughs> it's a good time to keep your fingernails short. And the top and your top of your hands and in between your fingers. One of the things I notice the most is that people don't wash it long enough. They should go for mm. 20 seconds. And I think a lot of people run and put their hands under the water and then they pull it out. And 20 seconds is about a, the amount of time you sing the ABC song or you sing Happy Birthday twice or whatever song you want to decide to use. But I think people tend to not do it long enough. And, and, um, and I, that's kind of crucial is to do it for 20 seconds or more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sue, can you talk about, you know, um, we've talked about in healthcare settings, but let's take it home for just a moment. You know, when people are coming and going from their homes, and frankly, we should all be not 
coming and going from our homes much right now. Um, But as you're coming in and going out, talk about what that hand hygiene looks like at home. You know, like you've just walked in your door. Then what? (laughs) Well, in in these days now and maybe any time, I think when you walk in your door, you should go wash your hands. So be sure that you're not anything Mm -hmm. that you've touched um, in your car or any mail or anything you're bringing in. Just when you walk in the door, go wash your hands. Um, I think it's also important to wash your hands before you eat, after you eat, after you're going to the bathroom. If you're playing with pets, we always tell children if they're playing with their pets, they should wash their hands. And especially if you're preparing food uh, in, in when you, before you prepare and then when you're going from different kinds of preparation to others, you should be washing your hands just to make sure that you're not spreading um, any viruses or bacteria that are there. Mm-hmm. Joe, you had mentioned um, paper towels earlier, and you know that's that we're thinking about public places and workplaces and the use of paper towels. What about at home with towels and family members? Can you talk about that? And you know, and, I think yeah. I I think it's always I know some families who have separate towels for every family member, mm-hmm. and that's your towel. And then it gets laundered, and then it's your towel again. And the biggest thing is no one wants to pick up a towel that's dripping or obviously soiled. So the importance of making sure laundering your towels, laundering your clothes. You know, if you are working and you come back in and you've been out in the community, the importance, again, of reminding your reminding all of us to reduce to reduce the bio load and that means things like bathing showering but also laundering and if you're in healthcare we really encourage people don't go out in the community and run your errands leave that scrub at home or change your clothes before you go and then wash your scrubs when you get home think about where you've been and where you're going mhm mhm when people are laundering their clothes, does it does it make a difference if the water is hot or cold or drying? You know, some of us still like hot water, but the important thing is that, you know, you're just, um, you got to launder according to the fabric. And the important thing is using that detergent to break up that surface tension and to, you know, again, that surface bio lo- load. And that can be reduced with cold water also so we also we talk about if somebody's ill in the in the family we often encourage wash clothes in the highest temperature dry clothes in the highest temperature but the important thing is just reducing the bio load Mm -hmm. hot cold any of it works Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if you have someone that's sick in the family you may well if they're quite sick you may want to launder their clothes separately Um, just while they're quite sick, Mm. you know, and just anything you can do to prevent spread. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ladies, you know, backing up to, we're we're talking about infection control practices. We jumped right into hand washing. What else in the nursing profession that have been those gold standards forever would, would, would you include in um, infection control that, that are things that our listeners um, in their workplaces and at home can take away? Wipe down, wipe down, wipe down. 
clean surfaces and clean surfaces that are frequently touched. And at home, that can be your remote control, your refrigerator and faucet handles, your desk, your doorknobs, railings, computer keyboards, light switches, phones, and toys. And to remember, soap and water first because you want to remove that surface soil because the disinfectants can't get at the germs if you've got dirt and impurities. Mm. So cleaning doesn't kill the germs, but it lowers them and it lowers the number and it, risks the, it lowers the risk of spreading various types of infection, not just coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But you know, the chemical disinfectants kill germs, but you got to get the cleaning step done first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to do your cell phone. I mean, I've seen studies, a lot of research studies have been you know, where, when you do the study, where do you find um, the most microbes? And oftentimes it's on the cell phone because people's hands are there and they're touching it and they're touching it multiple times a day. So it'd be a good practice to get in, you know, to start to learn to just clean that cell phone quite often during the day. Yeah. And can we talk about what to clean with? Because that's not necessarily like... You know, there's lots of different cleaning agents. And so what should people be looking for? You know, the biggest thing, again, remember, touch, touch, and you've left soil on it. So, you know, um, ordinary soap and water reduces a lot of the bile load. Mm -hmm. And then if you're looking at things that are going to disinfect, remember the EPA standards. And so you want to look for things that have either quaternarium ammoniums in them, sodium hypochloride, or hydrogen peroxide. So remember to read labels. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, basic and, bleach, basic bleach, and then, you know... It is sodium be, hypochloride. Yeah. Yep, yep you, that's sodium hypochloride. Right. But remember, dis use that in the appropriate... Um, dilution. Um, don't use straight bleach. Mix no. one third cup with a gallon of cold water or four teaspoons with a quart of cold water. And remember, if you're going to use it for disinfecting, you know, it's got to be cold water. Hot water will, um, the sodium hypochloride will become ineffective. Hmm. And remember that bleach can degrade over time, so don't mm -hmm. stockpile it. Mm -hmm. And to make sure your bleach and water mixture is effective, mix it the day you use it and protect it from sunlight. And only use it to clean surfaces as organic materials inactivate bleach. And remember, bleach is a disinfectant. It's not meant for humans. It's not a skin antisepsis. If you're going to use skin antisepsis, remember, they'll use the products that are meant for that, not yeah, sure. the disinfectants. Sure. I mean, that goes into some of the crazy things we're hearing right now about people, you know, spraying Lysol on themselves or dipping their yeah. hands in the bleach water you're talking about. Sue, talk about, you know, you had mentioned cleaning your phone and obviously we wouldn't do that with, you know, soap and water. So talk about like, what are some of those agents that could be used right well, now? Well, then I, any of the ones that Joe mentioned, you could use for those mm -hmm. uh, because, just, because it's a hard surface. So you can use the hard surface and, um, you know, just the basic Clorox wipes that you have or the Lysol wipes. And again, those that are on the EPA um, approved and it's on the CDC website. So people can go look and see. Yeah. But anything for hard I'll, surfaces. Sure, yeah. I'll share those thing, 
People oh, could goes. use this yeah. alcohol, but just remember it's 70% alcohol to disinfect. But to remember that alcohol is flammable, so to use it as a surface disinfectant in small surface areas and make sure and use it in well-ventilated spaces. Sure. That's what I've been using to clean my phone and have for years is um, alcohol, rubbing alcohol. Mm-hmm. Isopropyl alcohol, the seventy-one percent that you're talking about, um, yeah. I just spray it on a on a on a paper towel, and I wash my phone with that and let it evaporate. And um, yeah, that's how I've been doing mine. Some and people have far- begun to think the alcohol you drink is a substitute. It's not. You have right. to look at things that are seventy percent and over, and none of us should be drinking any alcohol that's seventy percent or over. Right. Exactly. So that's an that's another myth. I know some of the some of the distributors are basically saying, "Do not use our alcohol." <laughs> you know, they're having to go out and tell people not to use it, and and you know, just just understanding the basics. But that's true. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And in our show notes today, we'll share links to CDC's um, lists of recommended cleaners they have right now. Yeah, and there's they some have great links. Yeah, and they have two specific links: one for cleaning agents um, that are EPA approved right now for porous surfaces and also for those surfaces that are non-porous and and so when people look at those links ladies um could maybe each of you take a turn and describe what's a porous surface and what's a non-porous surface so people understand what that is in case they're not familiar you know i always think about things like tabletops hard you know hard surfaces as being non-porous and you're right things that if you wipe them down you can feel the liquid on it afterwards that's non-porous that means it's going to soak in so you you are right you don't want something that absorbs some of that chemical so you want to be very careful about your selection as well as what we have referred to earlier and that is the website also is great if a family member is sick as to how to handle dishes and laundry and it gives some good common sense hints for what to do during that time yeah good sue how about you yeah, so basically, uh, the follow-up on that, a dishwasher is really good to use and put your dishes in there because mm. that gets hot enough and it sanitizes, and you're actually saving water when you use a dishwasher. Mm-hmm. So this is a really, I mean, sometimes people might want to wash up a few dishes on their own, and you can, but if you have a dishwasher, um, this would be a great time to just say, especially, if, uh, you know, like your utensils and your plates and things, to really just go ahead and use your dishwasher now, because it does get cleaner and it gets more sanitized. Mm-hmm. I would say that if you use something to wipe down surfaces like a sponge, when you run the dishwasher, the sponge goes in also. Hmm. Yes, Good because time. that's another place where, you know, if, you, if you're rubbing it and it sits there and sits there, then it could grow the microbes. So that's It's wet. Too. It's warm. It's a perfect surface to grow. Yeah. So and that's definitely an example of a non-porous surface. <laughs> the sponge itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got it. So um, another thing that, um, you know, is happening right now is so as our healthcare institutions, whether it's uh, especially our hospitals and our long-term care facilities have, have closed their doors to visitors. 
And, you know, that causes a little anxiety for people who have family members who may be in a long-term care facility or who may be hospitalized Mm -hmm. um, right now. Can you talk about what that means from an infection control um, perspective and, and why that's important right now? And it's not intended to make people feel bad. No. And again, we talked about the bio load. We all have a bio load. But the unfortunate thing with with the current coronavirus is you could be incubating it for a day or two before you even are feeling badly and you're exposing other people. And so we do know that you, you increase the mass, you increase the exposure. And to try and flatten the curve. This is an aggressive stance, but a lot of times people think, oh, that little cough, but that little cough could be the death of someone else. So you're really preventing, you know, it's really for the people that are there. We know that this virus is harder on elderly. So the the rate, the the, the rates of having problems or having it be more serious go up after 60, go up even more after 70 and significantly more over 80 years old. And so what we're trying to do is keep the people that if you're in a hospital, you probably have an underlying condition. And so you're gonna be more at risk. So the prevention of visitors or stopping visitors is really to to really protect those people that that are already ill. And people yeah. who are in long-term care facilities, it's age or and often other comorbidities. So they're in a very vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. So what you're describing are what we've been hearing about at-risk populations, at-risk communities. And Sue, you just mentioned, you know, kind of age breakdowns. Would you mind kind of reviewing that piece with us and, you know, how that kind of goes up with age considering if they have other other health issues as well. Right. Well, basically as we age and when we as we get over 60, our immune system does not work quite as efficiently as it did when we were younger, even if you're well. Mm-hmm. And so basically mm-hmm. we just know that if you're over between 60 and 70, they say that you know you that your risk kind of rises 4%. Uh, if you're 70 to 80, it's up to 10%. And uh, over 80, uh, about 15% of people that get the virus are really at risk for serious illness. So it's just a matter of um, the aging process. There's also some factors. You know, how how well are you? Um, how well, what a kind of self-care are you doing? You know, a lot of people that are older are in quite good health, but still the risk goes up. If you have an underlying condition, which is like if you have heart disease or if you have been a heavy smoker or if you have lung disease or if you have diabetes or if you have high blood pressure, any of those conditions will make you at higher risk in addition to your age. Mm-hmm. As well as when you think about people with certain cancers, blood cancers, you mm-hmm. know, will put you, you're, you're more vulnerable. And we know that this, the coronavirus more seems to have a, a, a significant impact on the lungs. And so anybody who has any kind of asthma, any kind of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, those are the kinds of comorbidities that you you hear being discussed as being risk factors in this particular situation. I mean, the good news is so, that it, the good news is yeah. that it doesn't seem to affect children. 
very much. They, when mm -hmm. they get the disease, it seems to be mild, but they can, they can mm -hmm. you know, transmit it. And 80% of people that get it at any age are going to have a very mild or moderate disease uh, or cold. It's just like a bad cold. So that's the good news on it is, is that 80% of people will have a mild cold probably and be fine. Uh, the bad news is that it, it, when you are transmitting it and it can be transmitted to these people that are older or vulnerable, um, that's why we have to be so careful. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that's why what we're really seeing a call to be as community activists, you know, not just for you and or me, but our entire community. And I, I kind of like somebody just recently described it as if we look at not beyond ourselves, but looking at the three C's of being caring, being a community and showing compassion. And if we each day take a moment to do something for someone else other than ourselves, that is compassion. And that's the one thing this virus gives us a chance to do is step forward and shine in all three of these characteristics. I think yeah, that's so really, a, really a good mm -hmm. point. And, and like, and, and plus also uh, buy what you need, but don't buy more than you need. Like most people will not need a mask because those need to be saved for the health professionals and the first responders. And so really, for the most part, you know, people do not need to buy masks or worry about masks. And you don't need, you know, you should buy what you need, but you don't need to overbuy because we want to share and make sure that everybody gets basically their needs met. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's a time to step back. You don't have to be in the community. You mm -hmm. know, you can step back into your home and look in your home how you can reach out and do something for somebody else. Yeah, so let's talk more about that. You know, I, I love how both of you set this up from the beginning, you know, thinking of Florence Nightingale, you know, and I think we can all kind of picture, you know, we, we may even have a picture in our minds of who Florence Nightingale was and, and, um, and how we can be those good stewards. And you're talking specifically about compassion and that goes hand in hand with the, you know, the professions that the profession that you both chose for your careers. Talk about what compassion looks like right now, particularly when it's like, well, we're not necessarily going over to our friend's house to sit with them. What does compassion look like right now? Compassion could mean leaving food on the doorstep of your neighbor who's working in a nursing home. And you know that they're stressed with staffing, they're, de they're trying to calm their residents who can't see their family members, and so they're giving, giving, giving. So you can walk over and slip something on their doorstep to give some gas back into their tank to continue their work. I think another thing is just to call, especially those, um, you know, some people like private time. Some people really love to be with people and they really, it's really harder for them. So making, making a phone call to people and just say, how are you doing? You know, is there anything you need? Can I run to the store for you? Um, those kinds of things uh, are really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just checking on people, you know, that either as Sue alluded to, need people or people who are vulnerable in your neighborhood yeah. or people who they don't have to be in your neighborhood, but mm -hmm. people that you know deserve a little check-in. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk um, a bit a bit more about social distancing. And so you just mentioned running out to grab something for someone. Obviously, we're doing that in very as limited as possible, the running out and grabbing something. But if we have to go somewhere for something critical, talk about what that social distancing should feel. And I try like. to look at stores in their quiet times if I absolutely have to go and really try to be mindful about um, go in for what you need. No longer is it a time to kind of shop and you know for the routine shopping is it something I need to do or can it wait and I choose to wait Mm -hmm. yeah and again washing your hands before you go washing your hand when you come back I have hand sanitizer in my car because I don't have Mm -hmm. running water there and so I Mm -hmm. put I use that you know when I don't have running water to just kind of frequently before you go in somewhere and out but limiting where you go um, I know some of the grocery stores have started saying in the first part of the day now it's going to be limited to seniors and they've washed and I think stores are being careful to clean much more you know significantly than they than they were and so just uh, and then not going at busy times is, a, is an important part too some stores will deliver and that's nice too. If you're really high risk, uh, call a friend and say, "Could you pick this up for me?" Or call your grocery and say, Would, "Can you deliver?" Because I think that's starting to happen more and more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a it's a it can be a frightening time right now as we're all thinking and hearing about things happening around the world, and you know, we're talking about what we all can do as individuals, because it really will take all of us to flatten this curve. Um, But those stressors take a toll on people. So I'm wondering, you know, from a nurse's perspective, um, Sue, I, I know that you've, you've got some thoughts on this. When kids have questions right now, specifically, as they're listening and hearing the adults in their lives acting and reacting, how should we be with our children right now? Oh, I think the first most important thing is to be a good role model because children always learn by what they see probably more than by what you tell them. So if you mm-hmm. are role modeling, washing your hands and wiping things down and just, um, you know, doing um, relaxing things and, and trying to take care of your own personal health, I think that's number one. I think number two is, for the younger child, just answer their questions briefly. Sometimes people go on and on and on with a lot of data, and children don't at, at a younger age just miss, just need a brief answer. Like if you know, if they and you could even say, "Do you have any questions?" Because they're hearing things mm-hmm. on the TV and from people, and then answer it briefly, mm-hmm. like it's like a cold, and and uh, answer. Don't go overboard on answering to young children with more information than they need. And then reassure them, Hmm. like, we're working to keep you safe. You know, we're doing these things to be safe. And uh, just reassure them that the adults in their life will be taking care of them. And then also um, teach them so they can be in control, too. So that's why we wash our hands. And and let's do it and make it make it fun. Teach, you know, do a new song or do it together and teach them the correct way. Then that's something they can do. And it gives them a little more control. 
when they get a little older, then you can start to say, you know, especially, uh, you know, th this is the virus, this is scientifically what's happening, this is what why we're doing, what questions do you have? What, you know, cause they may be hearing things from friends or they may be hearing things on social media that aren't accurate. So you can, you can um, give them information that's accurate. So they, they're not worried about things that are unnecessary. Kids are black and white too. And this is a very fluid um, situation. And so to model that, this is what I know now and it could change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other things you can teach them is the basic things. Like I said, hand washing, coughing into your sleeve or into, you know, uh, doing an elbow bump. You know, you can teach them things that they should be doing, too, so that they've got the basics. And that gives them something, you know, that they can, you know, feel good about. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And uh, what about mental health considerations um, for adults right now from from a nurse's point of view? Yeah, I think one of from from mental health perspective, I think one of the one of the things you should do is really think about practicing self care, and interestingly enough, exercise and just getting out of the house and moving. And that's one of the things you can walk in the park. You can go for a walk. It's interesting how so many studies have shown that just basic walking can increase your endorphins and make you feel better. And it's better for your mind, body, and spirit. So that's a basic something that most everyone can do. Um, eating healthy, you know, we say it all the time, but it, this is a really good time to be having your fruits and vegetables and making sure that you're not overdoing it, at, you know, like the sweets and the donuts and those kinds of things, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know. And then basic things mm -hmm. like for some people, it's prayer. That prayer is 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 a uh, helpful in or meditation or yoga or whatever spiritual, um, you know, activity you believe in. Um, can be really helpful now. Mm -hmm. and, and just taking care of all your physical, we're talking a lot about physical, uh, but there's also the mind, body, spirit that we need to, to, to think about. I yeah, think using right. that's uh, some, been, that's a... yeah, some other things, you know, uh, we need to listen to media and we need to hear what's going on and we need to stay up to date. But sometimes I think we need to pull away and just take a break and turn that off, put on some quiet music or something relaxing, and then go back and listen again so we get the information we, we need, but not just bombard ourselves with, with you know, because it's hard to hear all, about all the cases and all of this, and sometimes it gets kind of overwhelming. Mm -hmm. That's kind of true for kids, too. You know, I think it's good to limit, you know, you want them, you know, to watch some of their favorite programs and everything. But after a while, maybe just turn off that TV for a while or the radio for a while and, and have some quiet time or have something that isn't, you know, so intrusive. Yeah, right. I know I've been doing that myself too as, as an, you know, as an adult. It's like, how can I break away and doing a, a many of the things that you're suggesting, Sue, as as well to try to give your give your mind a, a chance to have a rest and you know breathe back into ourselves and, and calling a down. and calling a friend you know we we yeah. thrive on our friendships and I've kind of thought well I'm, I'm gonna what one thing I'm gonna do is just call a different friend every day just stay connected just you know just or, or a family member or someone just just to stay you know, because we need that personal connection too. And then we can find out how is somebody doing? And if we know they're doing okay, then we feel better too. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely, absolutely. And for our listeners who who are wondering, well, what happened to Joe's voice now? Joe had to had to duck out of our recording um, at this point. Um, all of your voices are so well needed right now. And so I um, just want to thank Joe for her time um, on the podcast today. And Sue, I'm wondering, you know, as you know, you were you were saying giving ourselves a break from some of the media, and you were also mentioning, um, you know, reliable sourcing. Can you talk about maybe some of the myths that people have been, you know, some if you want to do some myth busting, now would be a nice time. Maybe if you want to mention some of those things. Well, I think one of the really sad myths that was out there is that people of different ethnic groups, like this disease, and we first recognized it coming out of Wuhan, China, and I think people were were starting to say, oh, if they saw someone that looked looked Chinese or looked Asian, that they were afraid of them and wanted to stay away from them. So first of all, you know, this disease is not limited to any ethnic group or any age group. So I think a myth is that we need to be supportive of each other, all ethnic backgrounds, and we also need to not, you know, be careful with, you know, like some of the things we've talked about, but it, it's a myth mm-hmm. that it just would, would, would be coming from one race or one ethnic group to, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the, yeah. one of the things to think about. I think it's a myth, like some of the things we talked about that, um, that you can, you know, that if you use alcohol and there's, there are some, uh, there are some things on the internet, you know, this is a vaccine, this will fix you. If you use this, this will be fine. There isn't, there isn't any cure. There isn't any known treatment. There isn't any vaccine yet, although people are working on it. So if something Mm -hmm. sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. And and you should just, Mm -hmm. you know, go back to those basics that we talked about. So I think that's another um, concern. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, home remedies as well. Like right. if you do this, you won't get it, right? Right, right. And there's some of that too. Right. There's some of those home yeah. remedies. But go back to the, like we said, to so those websites you've talked about, the CDC and the World Health Organization, because there are some home remedies that you can mix up and can be good, but follow the guidelines and have it be from a known source that you that you trust. Right. I think right. I think we're fortunate that you know we've got a lot of people working on this. There's a lot of experts and epidemiologists and and, and people really working hard to give us the data. I think one of the things that's hard about this virus is it's new. It's called a novel virus because yeah. it's new. So we don't have a lot of long-term research or data to tell us exactly. So we're getting kind of changes in real time. We're learning new things all the time. But the basics are standing true, you know, the basic hand washing and keeping things disinfected and limiting contact with people. Those are standing true. Mm-hmm. Doing the things that that Florence Nightingale discovered so long ago. And like we talked about, it sometimes it's so simple. It doesn't seem like that's all you can do. But some of these simple remedies are just very useful and very powerful mm-hmm. and, and something everyone can do. So everyone can play a role. And everyone can play a part in keeping, kind of keeping this virus at bay, you know, keeping mm-hmm. it from taking and mm-hmm. taking over. Yeah. And none of the things that you've shared today are things that 
are out of reach for no. any of us, whether we're at work or whether we're at home or whether we're uh, a child. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone can play a role. And I think everyone needs to play a role. This, 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 like Joe mentioned, this is a time to show compassion to each other and for each other. And some of the things we're doing are helping ourselves, but they may be helping the most vulnerable in our community even more than ourselves. And that, that's what we need to be thinking mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Sue, is there, are there, are there any other things that you'd like to share with our audience today from a nurse's perspective um, that may, that may be helpful things people can do or, or reassurances? Well, again, like I said, I think we're, we're well positioned um, in this country to have the resources we need to combat this virus, but it is going to take everyone and, I, and going back to nurses, I think we had mentioned that um, we want some of the protections that we're doing, like not overbuying masks, is so that these things can be there for our nurses and our first responders. And just mm -hmm. showing that compassion and, and checking in with people and listening to the experts, listening to the experts yeah. and following their guidance and not, um, you know, not second guessing or saying, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that or don't, it doesn't affect you because it, what it, this affects everyone. It's not just mm -hmm. about one person. It does, this, this does affect everyone. Yeah. The whole human family. The whole human family. That's right. Hmm. Hmm. Sue, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah. It was very, very much enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you all for spending your time listening today. And more importantly, thank you for your contribution, making sure your workers, including your temporary workers and your family members, make it home safe every day. If you'd like to join the conversation about this episode or any of our previous episodes, follow our page and join the Accidental Safety Pro community group on Facebook. If you're not subscribed and want to hear past and future episodes, you can subscribe in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or any other podcast player that you'd like. You can also find all of the episodes with transcriptions at vividlearningsystems.com slash podcast. We'd love it if you could leave a rating and review us on iTunes. It really helps us connect the show with more and more safety professionals like you and I. And share this episode as you wish with any of your friends. If you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic, including if it's you, please contact me at social at vividlearningsystems.com. Special thanks to Will Moss, our podcast producer. Until next time, thanks for listening.